grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Can you just hang on just for a second? Everybody just, just wait. Just wait right there. Hang on, hang on. I did this to prove a point, by the way. I wasn't just getting something. I made sure to go to that room and not that one, because some of you know that that one has a bathroom, and I didn't want anybody to think that <laughs> that's what I was doing. But you know how long I was gone? Anybody count? 30 seconds. That was a little bit painful for some of you, wasn't it? 30 seconds. That's it. I was gone for 30 seconds, and all of you were like, holy smokes, where did he go? Is he coming back? Should we get up? What, I don't know. What should we do? Are we supposed to be quiet? That's why they say that patience is a virtue, <laughs> and patience is listed as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is the second week of Advent, uh, the week of peace, we say, and we're in a sermon series that we're calling, I Can't Wait. We're looking at a variety of biblical stories, true stories, from the Old Testament mostly, where people had to wait for God's promises to be fulfilled in their lives. And last week you heard Pastor Kevin preach a message about Noah and his family, a message about waiting for that family, the waiting on the ark. And you can can only imagine, you know, you were brought into that story, waiting, waiting, waiting. And they waited because... They didn't really have another good option. They kind of were stuck there. Today, we're moving into a different story in the Old Testament where people were asked to wait, and, well, the waiting didn't happen too well. Patience was not present. Today, we're turning to the book of Exodus, specifically chapter 32. Uh, but I, I don't want to presume that you all are super familiar with the scriptural narrative, and I just really want to set the stage and give you some context for where we're at in Exodus 32. So let me just tell you a little bit of the story rel- relatively quickly from the beginning of the book of Exodus. Uh, God's people, called the Israelites, had been slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. When God called out to a a man named Moses, and he said, Moses, it's time. I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land, modern-day Israel. And so Moses and his his family, uh, his brother Aaron in particular, went to Pharaoh, and they said, Pharaoh, let the people go, and Pharaoh didn't want to do that. And so God sent plagues upon Pharaoh and upon the land of Pharaoh, and eventually Pharaoh relented. And he said, get out of here. And so Moses led the people. And as they were heading out, 
Pharaoh changed his mind and decided to pursue them instead. And so eventually the Israelites were caught with the waters of the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptians pursuing them. And then God miraculously parted the waters of the Red Sea and the Israelites were allowed to walk across on dry land to the Sinai Peninsula on the other side. As the Egyptians pursued them on that same dry land and God caused the waters to come and cover up the Egyptians and there they drowned. And so here are God's people in the Sinai Peninsula, the desert. And it's been rough. It's been hard. But God's been providing for them. He's given them miraculous water. He's given them this miraculous bread called manna on the ground. He's given them a quail as protein. God's been, God's been working in them, demonstrating to them his power and his might and his love and care and concern for them. And he's using this time in the wilderness to shape them and form them and mold them, to trust in him and to know that they are his treasured people and possession. And God is working, in particular through Moses. God speaks to Moses, and then Moses speaks to the people. This is how it goes. God speaks to Moses, and then Moses speaks to the people. We see an evidence of this in Exodus chapter 19, where God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go up on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, go up on Mount Sinai, and there you will encounter me. And there on that mount, God revealed himself to Moses and spoke to Moses about his promise for the people. This is what God said to Moses. He said, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. He's talking to all the nation of Israel, not just Moses. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, God has big plans for his people. He, he wants them to live as his people. He's trying to give them instructions to live, frankly, as perfect people. Like, like God created in the Garden of Eden, God is saying, I want you to know how to live. And so God instructs Moses with words to give to the people how they ought to live. And while, while Moses is on Mount Sinai, guess what words he receives? Uh, we call them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And, and, and the very first words of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, pay attention to this. This is going to be important in this story. God says to Moses, I want you to tell the people these words. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is pretty clear, right? Pretty clear? Did you pay attention? What does he say? Don't make any other gods. Don't have any other gods. Don't, don't make any carved images or statues or bow down to those things. Pay attention to that. Keep that in your memory. So Moses comes down off of the mountain, and he's got these words of God to deliver to the people. So he gives them the word of God. He gives them the promise. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And you know what the people of Israel say? With one collective, loud voice together, these are their words. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. <laughs> That's a big, bold declaration. 
from sinful people. Well, after speaking to the people, Moses even goes so far as to write down the law for them. Okay, so he writes it down. He writes it down for them so they've got it. He says, this is the promise, this is the plan. We're in Exodus chapter 24 now. And in Exodus 24, God says to Moses again, I want you to come up the mountain again. This time bring with you Aaron, your brother, Aaron's two sons and 70 elders. Moses, you will be allowed to come to the top of the mountain, but they can worship from a distance. And so before going up the mountain, Moses gives a pep talk to the people. He sets the expectations and the ground rules for his time away. He says, guys, I wrote the law down for you. You see, this is what you're supposed to do. You've got it. You understand that God's leading us somewhere. Okay, you got it. I'm going to be gone for a little while. I don't know how long. Please listen to God's word. Do it please don't do anything dumb, all right? And the people respond to Moses once again, and they say, all that the Lord has said we will do, and we will be obedient, Moses. (laughs) Big, bold declarations from sinful people. So Moses says to them, all right, guys, so here's the deal. Wait here. Just wait here. Wait for us to return to you. You can put that slide up on the screen. Wait here for us until we return to you. The Hebrew word here, uh, wait, the Hebrew word here, wait, uh, is translated, can be translated to, uh, to sit, to stay, to remain in one place. Uh, Pastor Kevin preached last week about waiting. There are a variety of words in the Hebrew language for wait. One that he preached on is more about uh, looking forward with hope. This one is more just stay, <laughs> just literally stay right here. Just stay right here. Just wait here. I'll tell you what God had in mind for his people. Something like the loyal family dog that I had growing up. (laughs) Here's a picture of my family dog growing up. This is Heidi. That's me pulling her ears up. Heidi was in the family before I was ever born, and Heidi was a good dog. I grew up in a small town in the middle of Minnesota, smaller than Houghton, And in my residential neighborhood, right across our residential street was the county hospital. And if you looked out my front door, about 400 yards was the helicopter landing pad for the hospital, which was sometimes an exciting thing as a kid. I mean, kind of scary as you look back on it now, but it was kind of fun watching the helicopter land. And then just past the helicopter landing pad uh, was the state highway, And when I say highway, I mean 40 miles an hour and one lane going in each direction kind of state highway. Just beyond the state highway was uh, the grocery store parking lot and then the grocery store. So looking out my front door, about a half mile straight ahead through the helicopter landing pad across the highway was the grocery store parking lot. And as a family, when I was a kid, we would sometimes uh, walk to the grocery store on that straight path. Uh, if we just needed something before dinner. So I remember as a kid going out in our front yard and Heidi would she, would, she would come into the front yard. She wouldn't go with us to the store. And we would walk to the curb uh, out on the street. And my dad would say to Heidi, Heidi, sit. And Heidi would sit. My dad would say, Heidi, stay. And then we'd step off the curb, holding hands as a family, start walking into the street. And I remember as a kid, like getting anxious, thinking, is Heidi going to, what if she comes after us? And so as a kid, like, I would turn around every once in a while, like, when we got to the helicopter landing pad, she'd still be sitting there. We didn't have any of that fancy underground fencing. She wasn't tied up. She was just a good, obedient, loyal dog. We'd walk to the store. My dad would never turn around as if he just trusted that she would stay. 
We would do our shopping, turn around, and look that half mile back, and you could almost see that tiny little silhouette of Heidi just sitting there waiting. We'd walk all the way back, step up on the curb back into our yard, and she'd come and greet us. Heidi waited. (laughs) She was obedient. As Moses is on the mountain, the people have said, Moses, we will listen to God's word. We will be obedient. But they didn't wait very long. Today we read from Exodus chapter 32, which I don't think I said this yet, is probably my least favorite story in the Bible uh, because my namesake, Aaron, looks like an absolute fool. And I think, man, why would my parents name me Aaron? So here's the deal. Here's what happens. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And at some point in there, uh, the, the first verse of Exodus 32 says, the people noticed that Moses was delaying in coming down from the mountain. So they were getting restless, and they go to find Aaron somewhere on that slope of the mountain. They say, Aaron, we need you to make us a god. Make us some gods. So what does Aaron do? He collects the gold from the people, throws it in the fire, and he fashions for them this golden calf. The people look at the golden calf, and the people shout out, these are our gods that led us up out of Egypt. Now, I don't think that Aaron, and it could, it could be because I'm biased and my name's Aaron, if you didn't know that, but I don't think that Aaron is totally giving up hope in the one true God. I don't think he's, you know, totally uh, uh, saying God isn't real, but he's certainly blurring the lines and he's most definitely breaking the first commandment, which was, you shall make no gods, have no other gods, you shouldn't form any uh, other statues. So the people shout this out, these are our gods, and what does Moses do? He doesn't stop them, no, he builds an altar before this calf. And then he offers sacrifices and he says, tomorrow we're going to party. Moses is like the teenager whose parents go out of town for the weekend. You've seen this movie. Hopefully none of you ever did this. And they try to throw that big party while their parents are gone. Teenagers, don't ever do that. Don't do that. But this is what what Aaron's trying to do. Moses is gone. We're going to party. And the next day, they throw the party. They do They do. And their idolatry led to immorality, and things were not good in the camp of Israel. If only they had waited. We do this all the time. We do it all the time. We make idols. We form gods. We bow down to these things. It's not that we're giving up on God. I, 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 I don't think so. I, I think a lot of you, you know, yeah, God's real, of course, of course. But man, in the moment, in the moment, it, it, it doesn't feel like he's coming, even though he says he'll always be with us, even though Jesus says he's coming again right now. Man, I got I to gotta see it. I need something I can see with my eyes, something I can, I can prove, something I can, something I can touch. And so we make these things, we manufacture things and put our hope in them. We take matters into our own hands. <laughs> we want to see some data, <laughs> right? This is what we want. We, we want something to make us feel better, something that tells us that we're in control. I know. All we need is a president that we, that we like. <laughs> then we'll be good. All we need, all we need, all we need is the right, the right medicines and the right treatments. Then we'll be good. All we need are the right procedures and protocols and people to follow those things. And then we'll be, then we'll be good. 
All we need is a little bit more money. God, if you can just, just give us these things, if you can just give us these things, we will happily wait longer for you to come again. God notices what's going on down in the camp, and he tells Moses, you got to go down there. you got to go. And so Moses heads down the mountain, and, and the people's revelry is so loud that Moses is concerned that there's war in the camp. There's no war, it's just the people partying. So Moses comes down the mountain, he sees the golden calf, he smashes it to pieces, throws them in the fire, makes a powder out of the gold, puts it in water, and makes the people drink it. Parents, that's what you can do for your teenagers when you come home. No, I'm just, I don't know, that wasn't in the script, I shouldn't have said that. But this is what he does, he, he gives them, he gives them the sacrifice and he says, you consume it. Moses confronts his beloved brother, Aaron. His precious brother, the one who's been with him in the, since the beginning of this tumultuous journey. His beloved brother, the one who spoke on behalf of him to Pharaoh because Moses was a stutterer. Moses confronts Aaron. Aaron, the one who held up the arms of his brother Moses because Moses was getting tired as his arms were being held as the people were crossing the Red Sea. This Aaron, Moses has to confront his beloved brother Aaron and say, Aaron, what in the world have you done? And this is where things get really bad for people named Aaron. <laughs> this is where he starts to look ridiculous because Aaron just starts passing the blame. He doesn't own up. Aaron says, Moses, I mean, you know the people. You've seen them. How evil are they? I mean, I was just, you know. And then he says the most foolish and ridiculous thing. This is, this is just dumb. He says, well, Moses, all right, here's what happened. They brought me their gold. I, uh, I don't know, I put it in the fire and uh, just, what do you know? A golden cab, it just popped out. I don't know. Ridiculous. This is not the end of the story here. Actually, things go pretty uh, poorly after this. Uh, people are punished. Uh, they have to kill one another. A plague comes upon the people. It's pretty bad. You can read more about it yourself in Exodus chapter 32. And the wilderness wanderings of the people continue. Uh, so much so that we're actually going to continue this story next week <laughs> uh, with the wilderness wanderings of the people. So I'm going to pause the story right here at the end of this uh, chapter and conclude with these final words. We're called to live in tension. Tension between uh, now and not yet. Tension, living here right now, knowing what we have and what we're experiencing, but also with the hope of what is to come, or the reality. So we live in this tension, like, like faithful Heidi sitting on the curb. They say that dogs don't understand time the way that we do. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, like faithful Heidi, she just sat there and waited, right? She waited. She waited. We are called to wait, and Jesus is coming back. He said it. When's Jesus coming back? I don't know. We read, though, also in 2 Peter today, chapter 3, these words. Let me read these words. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, loved ones, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, for you mathematicians, the literal people, it's not making a literal mathematical equation here, not saying one day on earth, 1,000 days for God. That's not the point. The point is God's outside of time. His timing is different. And so when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And he's not slow in doing it. He said, I'm going to come again. He's going to come. He's going to come. And the most important thing, the thing I love about this is he says that God is patient with you. When you are impatient, God is patient with you. God is slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. I would just ask you to trust in the promise. To trust in the promise. See, when you keep the promise of God central, you can be patient. When you know that God says he's going to do something and he does, you can be patient. So knowing the promise helps you be patient and you can be patient in the promise. And having patience to trust in the promise also gives you peace. So patience leads to peace, peace to patience, and it's all centered in the promise. Jesus is coming again. He's coming soon. I promise you, just as Christ has promised. Amen. Amen.